0: Hello and welcome. This is a Brave Space podcast with Dr. Katherine Meeks. Dr. Katherine Meeks is the executive director of the Absalom Jones Episcopal Center for Racial Healing. And I am so glad that we are here again today. How are you doing, Dr.
1: Meeks? I am doing well. And you need to tell them who you are.
0: Absolutely. How could I forget? I am your host, Chelsea Glasgow. And again, it is my pleasure um, to be here on a Brave Space podcast with Dr. Meeks. Listen, listeners, we are so excited um, because today we are going to address a topic that has been very popular in the media. um, And that has been the focus on the minority of Asian Americans. Um, Now in doing some research in this, we're starting to Um, identify some things, some conversations around this topic. And one of the conversations that popped up was Asian Americans as the model minority. Now I'm sure many of you may or may not know what that means, but that is why we have the expert Dr. Meeks here. (laughs) Dr. Meeks, can you tell us what is a model minority?
1: Thank you, Chelsea. And I want to say again, how wonderful it is to be, um, here with you and talking about these very important issues that affect us also deeply in this country, particularly now as we see this resurgence of, of, um, hatred and violence that's being exhibited toward our Asian, uh, and Asian American and Pacific Islander, uh, sisters and brothers. And it's very disconcerting. And, and I think, um, brings a lot of sorrow sorrow to all of us. So the one of the things that, that we have to always stay mindful about is the way in which oppression works. And oppressors are very um, astute at pitting minorities against each other, because if you keep the folks that you are oppressing fighting one another, perhaps they won't pay attention to the fact that you're the you're the real enemy, the oppressor, whoever that happens to be, and that's happened with uh, the designation model minority when the systems, the the people who run the systems of oppression want to highlight a group of people that 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 they can say, you know, here the look at what these people are doing. They would pick Asians as the uh that group and they became uh got that designation model minority because they kept their heads down worked hard and you know the the stereotype is that they're all brilliant beyond everybody else's brilliance in the universe and they tend to be people who uh i think are have a bit of a sensibility Toward being uh, a little reticent, to stand back a little bit and not go just busting into the room and and the oppressor played into that very well by labeling that as passivity. And so what they really want is a a group of minorities that will be uh, passively accepting of oppression and And when African Americans or Latinx or even native people, are stepping up to the plate and requiring them to have to deal with oppression differently, they can point to the quiet Asian person. They now remember they painted the person, the the Asians this way. You know, these are the passive, won't cause us trouble people. So then they hold those up and say, look at these people and they're the they're the model and And you lump everybody together, and then you pit everybody against each other, so then Asians become uh engrossed in that narrative and become uh you know sort of spokespeople in a by their behavior anyway toward other ethnic groups and so we've got ourselves a a pretty good uh complex set of issues to deal with in terms of trying to tease out some of the dynamics that have led us to the, to the day that we find ourselves today. But there are some bottom lines that we'll get into later that if we pay attention to those, they can help us a lot with how we go forward.
0: Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I love that you said um, and the things that you pointed out was how this creation of the model minority um, was really created to pit one uh, racial group against another. One group against another. And, you know, I was always told to be at the top of the bottom is still the bottom. So, you know, one of the things that even even if, you know, those who are part of different minorities even believe and buy into this stereotype and they believe like, well, at least, you know, we're the best ones or whatever the case may be like you said, it's good to take a, um, a bigger picture type of view and see that, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? They are pitting us against one another. I've heard so many racial stereotypes projected um, from different groups, right? From, um, and, and they're projected against one another, right? And it's so crazy that the same things that we don't want said about us are the same things that we buy into about others. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Oh, yes, indeed. It's because it's such a it's such a um, destabilizing methodology and it works so well. And I think it works so well because, you know, human beings are we're just a funny lot. And we're always looking to see what kind of hierarchy we can set up to make ourselves feel a little better anyway. And so as soon as somebody tells you, oh, well, you know, you're really better than those folks over there. So because you're better than let me give you this little crumb and then you hold on to this little crumb of whatever education, access or jobs or community to live in, whatever it is that gets thrown your way. It's like you just said a minute ago, you're still at the bottom. And even though somebody makes you think they put you at the top, you're not. But there's something that, you know, I, I struggle with this a lot. I've, I've spent a, the better part of my life trying to understand these dynamics around all of these issues. And I struggle with, is there just something in the human psyche that just has to build this hierarchical kind of structure and put people in boxes? And I'm not sure that I believe that it is. I just think that a lot of circumstances contribute to making us want to be that way but there is just always you you know chelsea when when we were all in school if if we made a bad grade on a paper we felt better if we discovered that somebody made a lower grade than ours mhm mm-hmm. you know if you if you made a d and somebody made an f you you felt better and that's just silly cuz you Cause you still have a D, you know. <laughs> <laughs> at least you have a
0: friend. At least you have a friend and a little bit more of the alphabet, right? You got the D. They got yeah. an F.
1: <laughs> that's right. So you're not the worst one in the room. That that's always. I'm, am I the worst one in the room? No, I'm not the worst one in the room. That doesn't mean that I did well. That doesn't mean that that I. That doesn't mean that I should be casting disparaging attitudes toward the other the person who made the F. I should some maybe have somehow some compassion toward that person. So when you, when, when oppressors f- discovered that one of the ways they could keep the oppressed intact was just to make them fight each other. Cause you spend all your energy looking at those people over there and saying, you know, look at them, look what they're doing. I mean, you know, the, the, the Mexicans are taking our jobs. The, the Chinese are taking our jobs. The, uh, and, and yet, that's not the problem that is not the problem they are not the problem there's a system that has no intention of letting you be a, a first class citizen in the first place and so it does everything it can to keep you out of that space and then pitting you against these other folks makes it makes that system work better and so and and so we who are in groups that are oppressed have to be careful not to become complicit with the oppressor by denigrating other groups of people who are oppressed.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: And so, so, I mean, we end up acting like the oppressor. I mean, because we then start that whole, we keep that cycle going and we can't afford to do that. I mean, we just can't afford to do that. We have got to begin to wake up to a different understanding of, our collective oppression and and how we have to stand together i don 't think that that 's talked about enough. I think that we make assumptions that because you 're brown or black or or native or Asian or latinx you 're going to understand you 're going to be with me, and then when you find out folks are not with you. Then we start all this hatred toward each other. So in some of our big cities, you know, Asian, Asian and Asian Americans and African Americans and Latinx people cannot get along. And there's rival gangs and all this stuff. And, and what they don't get is that they're all in the same boat. And it's sinking. And, and they don't have a clue. And, and if they could come together, they could keep the boat from sinking. But that is what the oppressor never wants you to figure out that if you could come together with these people, you could quit being oppressed, actually. You could change the system, you could change things, but, you know, but you got to figure that out first. And we, and we just have, we have too much trouble figuring that out. And we need to really start, um, thinking about this and talking about it and trying to build a different kind of, um, Set of relationships across all kinds of lines with people that are oppressed and Asian, um, Asian, and Asian American and Pacific Islanders fell into this trap. So this this new wave of hatred toward them is is more than frightening. It's frightening to all of us, but it's it's caught them so off guard because they've sort of kept their heads down and been able to to ride a Right alongside the 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 racist, the racism uh, pond, without necessarily feeling like they were going to be drowned in it. And now, what they ha- I think are having to realize is that oppression will drown us all.
0: Exactly, exactly. You know, I think um, I love what you said about how pretty much knowledge is power and when we are able to identify right that ghost of oppression right the the person the oppressor who throws the dagger and then runs away and then allows us to you know just fend for ourselves in the rank right um as minorities um and so the first step that i hear you saying is to identify who has thrown you know who benefits most out of us arguing here who who benefits when you know we are going against one another who benefits when we are speaking and repeating um these myths um about and stereotypes about one another because surely it's no minority i think you know uh, absolutely
1: Chelsea, what a fantastic question. Excuse me for interrupting you, but I'm just about to jump out of my seat because it's such a great question. Because we, we, who benefits here from this this argument, this fight we're having? We, who benefits when young black kids kill each other? Who benefits when Asians and uh, black folks talk about each other badly and don't want to be around one another? That is such a profound question and you just don't know what glee it brings to me to hear you my young protege posing that question because we don't always get to to the point where we understand we got to ask the right questions before we start hollering about what the answer is and so you know we we will we'll ask 15 questions and try to answer them and then we never ask the core question. so all of those answers out there really pretty don't matter And who benefits? I mean, if we would just ask that question over and over and over about everything, we would be so much better off. And and when we answer it and realize that the people who look like us, the people who have been designated as other are not benefiting and they're not my enemy. And maybe I can build bridges to them and I can see a a way ahead because I've built those bridges. There is a thing called systemic racism in this country that was put together by the white men who founded this country and permeates every inch of it that benefits from all of this stuff. And we need to name that and hold it up and, and live into it and stop trying to make each other into Our enemies.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because each other, we are not each other's problem here. Um, As you identified, the system, not even people, right, are a problem. It's the system that's a problem. The system is ran by people and we need to be able to identify who is running this system and speaking these lies. Um, you know, when you were talking, it just illuminated for me that this system of um, oppression and, you know, especially like planting these seeds of stereotypes, this has been duplicated. It is not just in a broad sense of, you know, Asian Americans, African Americans, but even, you know, as I look into the African American community, the colorism that lies within there, right? Light skin versus dark skin, right? And again, nobody wins, right? You know, the, the light skin slaves are inside the house, dark skin slaves are outside the house, but everyone's <laughs> still a slave. So no one's one's winning in this situation. Um, Mm -hmm. My question to you is, what will it take for us to win? I know the first step is identifying who threw the stone, who first threw that stone. But next, as minorities, how do we collaborate? You know, I'll mention this and then I'm going to leave it alone. A lot of minorities um, feel or feel like, you know, they have their own set of problems. Right. And they need to address those individual problems before they go out and help Asian, you know, for instance, the African American community, they have their quote unquote own set of problems. And so when that happens and an Asian American, you know, Asian Americans come under siege or uh, under attack, they feel like, well, hey, you know, I, Hey, but we have our own problems. You guys have haven't been helping us this whole time. Things like that. How do minorities even build bridges while working on um their own uh communities?
1: So there's um uh, there's a there's a um, a word that I love a lot. It's it's a I think it's I guess it's a Greek word. It's it's metanoia and it means a new way of seeing. And we have got to have a new way of seeing, and that is is what—that is the reason why I spend all my time trying to work with people in the faith community, because I believe that people in the faith communities have already said that they're committed to a new way of seeing. I mean, you know, by virtue of the fact that you call yourself a Christian or what, you know, a, a person following of a, a spiritual set of principles means that you have some capacity to be willing to to change your um your mind. You know, so we have got to change our minds about each other, Chelsea, and and coming to but but coming to that is not like a picnic, and, and it's, you know, I'm, d- I'm not going to oversimplify anything here because it's a complex set of issues and we oversimplify them too much, which gets us into trouble. It, you've got—something has to happen, and I think there's a little bit of mystery to it. It's suffering. It's when things got bad enough that you finally could see the light. I mean, it, who knows what really flips the switch that— Says, I gotta do something different. I gotta, I gotta go at this in a different way. And those of us that are that dare to call ourselves leaders in this work need to be holding up this challenge to the folks that we're trying to lead. That you've got to start being open to a new way to see, and then you start realizing if you'll let yourself make that little turn that I need to see this differently, then you start to ask, what do I need to see? And you start, and the big thing you need to see is this, that there is one God in the universe who has created everybody and loves everybody equally and is no respecter of persons. And so we have no business pitting anybody against anybody else or ourselves against anybody else. And anybody who does that is standing outside of the frame that I want to live in and let me go find the people who are trying to be collaborative and trying to acknowledge the humanity and, and God's presence in every human being. That, that is a, a bigger turn. But until those kinds of turns are made, everything else we do is just window dressing, Because at the core, I've got to believe that you are as important as I am, that God loves you as much as me, that you deserve to have everything that I think I deserve to have. And I've got to be willing to work for you to have that access. Mm, And until we get there, we're going to always be trying to grab somebody and snatch them out of the barrel so they can't get to the top of the bucket.
0: Wow. 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 What I, what I hear you saying um, is truly, you know, especially as believers, uh, we need to have the love of Christ. Because when you think about what love is, love is selflessness. And when you begin to have these cross-cultural um, conversations and, you know, trying to find how we can be unified, um, the first thing that we have to do is forget about ourselves and think what is in the best interest of my brother and sister. Um you know the Bible talks about how uh, no greater love is this than a man to lay down his life, right? And so we have to be willing to lay down our lives, lay down what we what we want for what um, our brothers and sisters are going for it and knowing that they will also return the same, right? So it's not like we're going out empty. It's everybody is pouring all that they have for the greater good of everyone. Um, And so I think- uh, that is a really good point that you made as far as um, joining together based off of caring, truly caring for one another and putting aside um, those differences so that we can get to the greater good. And that is going to require a new way of seeing. We are going to have to eliminate some things, outside some of our own personal stereotypes that we've created um, for some folks. Right. Like that's going to take it is that work. Um that needs to be done.
1: Let me just say one other quick thing about what you just said about laying down your life. You cannot lay your life down for your sister or your brother unless you have been willing to lay down your ego inside of yourself. You've got to work on, as Howard Thurman would say, finding out what is your core and what your life is about and what you are after in this world and and be a, a have a foundation to stand on that helps you to understand that when you lay down your life, when you when you are willing to uh, step aside so somebody can have what they need, so you don't have to be throwing your own self away. I think we we live in such a, a, a space of thinking that there's scarcity everywhere. There's not enough of anything for everybody. So I have to hold on to what I have really tightly because if I don't, I won't have it. So until you can work on the stuff inside yourself that makes you want to hold on to everything, you will never be in that space of laying down your life for anybody or actually loving anybody, including yourself, because really loving yourself means to let go let go of all of the, the stuff inside of you that hinders you from seeing the great abundance of God and and the possibilities for yourself. And then it's out of that kind of energized space that it's easy to live, to hand up to extend a hand to somebody because you understand God's abundance and you know that all you're doing is stirring up the abundance pot. You're not depleting a scarcity pot.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Oh, I love that. That's that's a word right there, Doctor Meeks. That's that's you preaching right there. Um, I love what you said. You cannot lay down your life for someone unless you first lay down your ego. I just want that to marinate, and one- I want in our hearts. Uh, thank As you.
1: We so much. Time, right? As we run out of time, right? <laughs> could, we could talk forever.
0: <laughs> I was just thinking, I was like, wow, this is such a rich conversation, but we are going to have to have this episode come to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Dr. Meeks, thank you so much for your expertise and input. I believe this is really going to help us, um, Take one step closer to being not only a half shade braver, um, but to also building and creating space that we can connect with one another and true love, um, and actually make progress to dismantle the system of racism. Absolutely. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. If you would like to keep this conversation going, please understand that we have we are live on social media, on Instagram, Center for Racial Healing, on Facebook, Center for Racial Healing. Also, please follow Dr. Meeks' personal page, Dr. Catherine Meeks, and be sure to visit our website. We have a virtual resource library there. We're constantly uploading information that you need to know. Um, If you want to become a part of making a change in this society. And so thank you guys so much. Again, visit our website, centerforracialhealing.org. And it is until next time, just remember to always tell the truth.